0: All right. Welcome everyone to this week's episode of our podcast. Uh, Anantapadia is the person that we interviewed in this particular episode, and this is a fascinating conversation. One of the best people that I've talked to, and the highlight of this conversation was the topic of the weaknesses of Bitcoin. And I said weaknesses, not weakness, because there is more than one. Ananth brought a fantastic different perspective on the weaknesses of Bitcoin, which personally for me was was a little mind-blowing because it made me think of things in a way that I hadn't before. Um, by no means was that the only thing that we talked about. Oh my goodness, we had a range of conversations from blockchain technology to the governance of um, of cryptocurrencies, as well as the regulation and how it's catching up. You talked about this fascinating act called the red flag act and you'll hear about it in the interview so I won't spoil anything for you right now so um, hang tight this is a fantastic episode thoroughly enjoyed interviewing him we're we're definitely going to get him back um, for a a two-parter because there were so many more things we wanted to talk about and uh, without further ado let's dive in
1: The thoughts and opinions expressed by Keegan Francis, Murgakshi Palway, and the guests interviewed on the Go Full Crypto podcast are solely their own. The content discussed are intended to be for informational purposes only.
0: Welcome Anand, to the show. How are you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, as you can imagine.
0: Yes. <laughs>
2: and how are you guys? Oh, We're
0: doing super, super well. Tell us, Tell us why we're doing great today.
2: Uh, I don't know. I think uh, you know there was a bit of a uh, news. I don't know. Someone somewhere bought some bitcoins. So probably that.
0: <laughs> That's true. Some insignificant yeah. amount, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Some some unknown company somewhere. <laughs> uh, like I don't
0: know, like one point five billion or something was. Yeah.
2: It? Who who does that? <laughs>
0: yeah. probably is a joke.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it was a joke, but. Um happy that he finally did what was right. So we're talking about obviously Elon Musk and Tesla buying 1.5 billion. So yeah, pretty yeah. awesome, pretty awesome day.
0: Yeah. <laughs> okay, so I actually wanna bring this conversation to um, the very beginning of your story to start to give our audience a little bit of uh, an insight into into you. And I know that from some of our previous conversations, you've said that you adopted Bitcoin really early. And I want you to tell our audience when did you first hear of Bitcoin? I'm not
2: sure if it was early 2015 is when I first heard about it, which was like I thought it was already, uh, you know, a lot of people were talking about it and stuff. I don't even remember where I uh, where I found it out, but uh, uh, I think it it must, must have happened with a lot of people coming from a technology and product background. You look at Bitcoin and you say, you know, what? Oh, you know, I need to look at the tech. So what's the tech? Tech is this big blockchain stuff that people keep talking about. So I looked into Bitcoin and blockchain and I tried to build a blockchain for business process management in 2015. Oh. So um, I worked on that. Base, wanted to do something, because I was in business process management, right? and I was building products in business process management. I said, why don't I combine these two worlds and you know just build a blockchain on business process management? But when you go down that uh, path, you realize that uh, there's a dead end where there's no way to incentivize participants. right? So if you have a blockchain, which doesn't have a native token, how do you incentivize the participant? Then it has to be game theory-based incentive scheme. So blockchain, blockchains in theory don't work. So I learned it the hard way, 2015 gone, and then I said, "That's fine, that's fine. Let me let me see what I need to do next. Let me try and uh, you know look at all these other amazing coins that are there." So I spent most of 2016, you know, looking at a lot of like maybe 20 coins out there, trying to look at their tech, and uh, pretty much pretty much wasted 2016 as well, <laughs> looking at crypto. <laughs> looking at crypto. But I learned my lesson when, But at the end of 2016 when I bought my first Bitcoin. After that, I, I knew pretty much I didn't want to sell. So I did work on a lot of uh, other projects, non-Bitcoin projects, but luckily I didn't buy much of them. So uh, a lesson learned, but uh, it was interesting. It is, it is good when because when you talk to people now, uh, you can explain by experience. right? you can tell that you know it's not that I don't understand blockchain. This is how it works, and this is the problems we faced. And it's uh, it's it's good to explain them. So it, no, I wasn't very early, but yeah, it was. I'm I'm happy with it.
0: That's true. Okay. Well, I, I would I would still classify 2015 as um, one of the early adopters because I would say a lot of the new bitcoiners that have come into the space came in after 2017. Because 2017 is when mainstream yeah, yeah, yeah. media covered it as what is this huge thing? It's probably a scam. It's a bubble, and yada, da da da.
1: As far as the yeah. 12 years of the, the whole life of Bitcoin goes, it's in the first half. 2015 is in the first half of Bitcoin's life now. So yeah, I'd th- I say we're officially early adopters. Because you're also looking at the class of 2015 over here. That's when, <laughs> when I got in. Thanks. Nice. Yeah. Yes. Awesome.
0: And okay. yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So. Uh, yeah, I got in with what?
0: You got in with...
1: Oh, yeah, I got in with Dogecoin. <laughs> Dogecoin is okay. actually at my start, um, ironically yes. enough. It just ties into this whole phenomenon of what's been going on. I, I mined Dogecoin in a in a mining pool and then traded it for hmm. Bitcoin immediately, actually. Um,
2: awesome. That and, was the best
1: part. <laughs> that say, that's it. I apparently knew what I was doing back then. Um, <laughs> but I, I digress because I actually traded that Bitcoin for a bunch of other... Uh, Cryptocurrencies. Um, I was about to use the uh, the derogatory term for them, but uh, yeah. Uh, so I learned my lesson as well in 2017.
2: Yeah. yeah. So I count uh, the that I started in Bitcoin at the end of 2016. I almost you know just uh, was not into Bitcoin in 2015, 16. So that's why it's more 2016 end. Gotcha. But that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> I'm I'm happy with where I'm.
0: I know I would actually almost say that the 2015 and 2016 was required for you to end up with Bitcoin because it, it's like all yeah. roads lead to Bitcoin is is what yeah. that proves from so many people that we've talked to and interviewed before that. Are no bitcoin for what it is have gone down that path of looking at other coins and then they yeah. always end up at bitcoin, and yeah, that's for some Unless,
2: theory. unless, unless you're Michael Saylor, uh, you start looking at <laughs> yeah. bitcoin and three weeks later you are a giga chat. Like, seriously, <laughs> it took me almost two years to realize, but uh, all credit to him, yeah, he's he's doing a good job.
0: Yeah, for sure. And you, but you said that you built a blockchain in twenty fifteen, that's before all of the hype about blockchain was uh, had entered the market.
2: Blockchain was pretty hot then, actually. So two thousand fifteen, there were a lot of companies getting into blockchain, and and uh, you know a lot of enterprise work happening. What we typically do out there in uh, product and tech tech space, right? So. Yeah, this is a new tech. You know, IBM and a lot of other people are getting into it. I need to learn. So blockchain was hot then, and uh, honestly, we thought two thousand thirteen was the real peak. And when the cycle happened, that was like phase one, two thousand thirteen, and then this was more like phase two, two thousand thirteen to seventeen. So uh, I think after two thousand seventeen is when you know blockchain started dying. Blockchain, not Bitcoin. That piece, uh, that uh, that slogan started dying but that time 2015 blockchain was pretty hot
0: nice okay cool i guess i wouldn't have known because i wasn't plugged into the industry then i i entered bitcoin and the blockchain cryptocurrency industry end of 2017 2018 so in that sense i'm a late adopter of sorts but i've stuck with it and made it my career and here i am
2: awesome that that's that's the thing right and you know 20 years later it's like uh uh, two brothers going, growing up with one year's difference. When they're little, one year matters a lot. But when they are 20 years old, it doesn't matter. They are almost the same age. So we are all, we are all, uh, we all got in before Elon Musk, right? That's the point. <laughs> 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 that's true. <Yeah>. That's true. <laughs> and so Michael Saylor, do, too. And Michael yeah, too. Saylor. So I'm going to put that in my CV uh, That's that I got in before Jack and Michael Saylor and Elon Musk.
0: <laughs> nice. Um, okay. So there was one more thing that you said that um, earlier about um, blockchain and how you realized that without game theory and without some sort of tokenomics incentive mechanism, blockchain didn't make sense. What conclusion did you come to with respect to what blockchain is useful for then?
2: Um, so blockchain. Without a currency, is honestly, I couldn't find a use case for that. You could go to the extremes, and you can you can think about a federated way, where uh, you know someone controls it and it's a database. But I have done distributed databases before. Distributed databases have existed for decades, right? And there's nothing that a blockchain solves without crypto tokens, which a, uh, a distributed database cannot. So let's say if someone says, you know what, um, this is what uh, people were saying then is. If there are 10 suppliers and they want to all kind of uh, know the truth, then they will all put it on the blockchain. And, you know, they you, no one can cheat anyone else because, da, da, da. Uh, because you have a single copy. That's the source of truth. Uh, but if you really look in, into it, this is just a distributed database. So anything that happens in a supply chain, any uh, data that changes, you just put it on a distributed database and everyone keeps a copy of it. So what happens at the end of it is, you know, people can match up and they have their own true source of uh, what's happening so that pretty much does it right you don't really need a blockchain for that so blockchain is really useful when it is permissionless anyone can come in anyone can go out and uh, you don't really need to incentivize them with uh, something outside of the outside of the system so let's say someone says that you know there was a project where um it was uh, iot on blockchain right and um, so basically there were a lot of uh, a lot of sensors and a lot of machines uh, robots connected to the blockchain and they used to put in data there so the point that it came down to is uh, who is paying them to put the data in right if someone is paying them to put the data in and it's not the protocol itself and someone is giving out those dollars then actually that person is controlling it right so it's yeah. pretty much centralized so if you really peel the onion you would realize that it's only only a very very niche use case that uh, that you know, blockchains make sense and it has to be with their own token. So that's, uh, that's the conclusion of my blockchain journey.
0: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense because Keegan, you used to work at PBSA and what was it? Provably Fair Gaming. And I remember you telling me that they had oracles. So um, can you give us a, an example of how the oracleization worked for the games? And just like.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So the idea was that it would be a, a betting blockchain so you could bet on the outcome of events uh and that could be applied to the future price of something but uh, this we applied it to sports so the outcomes of sports Mm. games but then we would need to integrate data data sources that could be trusted so that no one could manipulate or feed the blockchain the data uh, that would result in them winning where like right. let's just say that you've got two teams team a team b team b actually won in reality but if you are a controller of these data feeds is it possible to tell the system that game, uh, team a won in order to get yourself a payout or win so that was the whole oracleization problem mm. and that's a really tough problem to solve um i do think that that's solvable by blockchain um but I, i'm like i don't know what's your thoughts on chain link there
2: so uh, I, I haven't kept track of Chainlink, but uh in my in my crypto, crypto days right before bitcoin i did work on an oracle project and uh, we were trying to solve the same problem so it's not that it is uh, um, uh, blockchain cannot use oracles blockchain can use oracle and if uh, you combine oracle with bitcoin especially what people are trying to do with uh, discrete lock contracts and stuff it's pretty amazing it's very powerful it's basically Bringing the outside intelligence into the blockchain, so uh, into the Bitcoin blockchain. Right now, Bitcoin blockchain knows very little. It knows the uh, the transaction, who signs it, what is the block height, and uh, pretty much, pretty much, it doesn't even know what is the transaction value, right? How much bitcoins are being passed? There is very limited. So if you want, if you bring in additional data from outside, let's say it is trust minimized, then it is very powerful. So oracles do have a use in uh, you know bitcoin or any uh, any such space now the problem with uh, problem with uh, oracles not a problem but what you have to realize is crowdsourcing and blockchain are different things yeah right so wikipedia where you are sourcing stuff from 200 people and you get incentivized uh, if you have the right answer so you will get some 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 incentive, but if your answer is wrong, you don't get in fact, you get penalized. That was the basic mechanism of what we are work, what we were working on. But if you just look at that model, it is nothing but crowdsourcing. So a crowdsourcing answer, and that is linked with an incentive model which is which is a centrally paid out incentive model. but what it does it is incentivizes you for the right answer and it disincentivizes incentivizes you for the wrong answer. So there's a shelling point created, right? Like A won the match. I don't know who others are, but most probably they A won the match, the chances are the most of people are voting A, so I shouldn't go for B because I'll be penalized. So unless I can actually collude with uh, 100 other people, the chances are I'll be penalized, right? So th- that's a, fa- right. that's a fa- very fair model. But the point is that is still crowdfunding. There's no blockchain needed for that. I can do it on a website. I can do it on an app. Now, how do you use that? Uh, so, so per se on Oracle, in that sense, you really don't need a blockchain, unless uh, um, unless you are connecting that data source. So the answer, the Oracle's, you know, the truth that is coming into, and then you are using into a smart contract or a Bitcoin script. So these are two separate things, and uh, yeah, that's that's where it is. So I don't know Chainlink in particular, but I do know that. Um, uh, if, we, if there is this uh, line to be drawn between crowdfunding and a crowd crowdsourcing an answer versus using a blockchain for an answer, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah, yeah. I really like how you separated crowdsourcing from putting something on a blockchain um, because that distinguishes the use cases for both of them. Uh, in the past, blockchain has been known as the truth machine. And uh, in a lot of our workshops that we've given to people, we've kind of... Um, Said that, well, like just because something is on the blockchain doesn't mean it's true. And to people that don't understand the technology, that's kind of the narrative that it, it sends that, oh, we just use blockchain for this because it'll secure yeah. data. Or, you know, because it's on the blockchain, it's um, immutable. And there's a lot of fallacies for the use case uh, of a blockchain. So, would you say that you're of the opinion that blockchain is only useful for? Financial purposes?
2: Uh, see, e- right now, yes. So, if you, so it's not a question of if, so obviously there, there can be, that's my opinion. Obviously, there there is a place for DeFi, there's a place for Web 3.0, but unless you solve the fundamental money problem, which is at the core of it, um, let's imagine it this way like, take Uber. So, what are the parts of Uber that you can decentralize? You can—it's almost already decentralized. The drivers are decentralized, um, the the customers are decentralized. You can even make the code open source, and even can download it, and you know just you know connect to each other, right? So you can pretty much decentralize everything. If you if you think about what cannot be decentralized is the payment mechanism, right? Think of any feature in Uber that uh, cannot be decentralized. It's only the payment mechanism how a driver gets paid and the customer pays and it goes somewhere and then the you know some some uh, commission is deducted and then it goes to the drivers that the, that only that stream is not decentralized right what so would
0: a you... decentralized payment structure even look like though um i mean are you saying that it, sh- it it's better off it if it is decentralized or that it doesn't need to be decentralized
2: um in uber's case i'm not uh, um Comparing whether centralized or decentralized is good, which model is good. All I am trying to say is that um, if you look at any use case, especially a commercial use case, where uh, people, uh, let's uh, um, let's take Uber for example, let's take eBay for example, or Amazon for example. Really, the source of money is what is centralized. Rest of it is very easy to decentralize, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so. So the point I'm making is that uh, the the core part of any any you know any commercial transaction, most of them have commercial. At the even if it's a social app, you will have some kind of a commercial dealing with the advertisement uh, that you that you show up or users' data. So that is the part which it's not easy to decentralize. You cannot have uh, uh, you cannot have probably uh, um, if you had Bitcoin network built into it or a decentralized payment network built into it, then the app is completely decentralized. So you might build other decentralized stuff. Let's assume that you know um, Uber can be decentralized, everything is decentralized. The only thing that is not decentralized in it, it, that will keep the power and therefore the centralization. So first, so my view is first, the most important part where the most power exists is the, is the money use case. Once we decentralize it, you take the example of ETH, right? ETH ICO would never have been possible if Bitcoin was not there. Because money was decentralized, the whole, um, the ICO was done based on Bitcoin, right? So yep. we need to first make sure that the money use case is properly done, the fundamental structure is there, and then build on top of it. So I'm not of the opinion that DeFi is not possible, F3.0 is not possible. It's very much possible. It's just not now, probably. It it uh, um, it will have uh, its own, uh, you know, era, uh, uh, but it, we need to first secure the money. That's that's my view.
0: Yeah, I don't remember where Keegan we read it, but you've said this in an interview before. It's fix the money, fix the world, and um, mm. credit goes to the author or the the person of the sayer of this particular uh, phrase. And it looks like I
2: think it was Marty. It was I think it was Marty Ben Marty. Based uh, from the crypt. Okay. Well, thank you. We
0: take your word for it. We'll word for it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Probably, I'm not 100 percent certain, but I think he he is the one.
0: All right. Well, we're excited. Thank you, mar- Marty. Yeah, thank you, Marty.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and um, a truly des- decentralized money. I I mean, I'm of the opinion that Bitcoin is the only truly decentralized money. I I guess the uh, after gold, but only truly des- decentralized. Um digital money, never mind. Just yesterday, we, we, I got you to Google that uh, America is the biggest holder of gold and then comes Germany and then several other countries. So gold is definitely not decentralized, as decentralized yeah. as you
1: It might have used to be, have yeah. been like back when people actually held gold and carried it around the world. For money, yeah. Yeah. But it would still fall um, prey to its weaknesses of, of not being like a good transporter of wealth across space. Right, but um, yeah. yeah. Now that we have Bitcoin, that's yeah, that solves that problem. So it? it's kind of unfortunate that gold got so centralized over the years because it, it actually kind of was uh, the people's utility against financial corruption for the longest. time. I kind of,
0: it's a good thing we're talking about gold, though, because Anand, have you has most of your um, life been in India, or like, have you been influenced by Indian culture? Um, yes,
2: absolutely. So I was born and brought up here, but then uh, most of my working career was in Europe,
0: right.
2: um, and finally I'm back uh, back in India. So obviously, you know, I'm friends, family, and you know, growing up, uh, so very much uh, aware of the Indian culture and the liking for gold and stuff. That's so, so is- yeah, in, it was. It is pretty distributed in India, and yeah. gold is very distributed. In fact, obviously, uh, Indian households hold more gold than any government.
0: Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, they, um, so it is. It is pretty distributed here. Uh, uh, yeah. So gold has its place. Gold definitely has its place, but it is not really suitable. When when it was a local market, it was fine. Right. You you have a certain space you interact with, and gold was okay. But when trade started to grow, and you had to carry it on ships, and you know there are all these chances of um, accidents happening and stuff. So people started keeping it in one place and then, you know, taking an IOU from them that, okay, money is kept, uh, my gold is there. And then, you know what, instead of going, getting my gold and then giving it to you, I'll just give you my IOU, right? And you can take it from the goldsmith. So so that's that's how, that convenience is where, where you know, gold centralized and those guys who are holding the gold, actually, that's where banks started from, Right. So it was more about, uh, I think, uh, more when globalization and trade uh, started spanning across space. Like you can said, it is it wasn't really a good um, transporter of wealth across space. That is when it started getting centralized.
0: Right, and that brings us to Bitcoin because it is the the perfect money to transport over space and time.
2: Yes. Uh, yes. Maybe we have to make it better, but so far it, it's, it's <laughs> perfect money is
0: the best, is the best money out there. Yes. Okay, cool. Let's let, yeah, like that. It is the best, it is currently the best money out there. And I mean, Absolutely. we are of the belief that so far it is in the next century, maybe there will be something else. And that only depends on technological advancement, something that we can't predict.
1: Yeah. That'd be a true black swan. If something came <laughs> out of, uh, like pun intended, the ether and, uh, and surprise us all and <laughs> you know overtakes bitcoin that would that would really throw me for a loop i'd really have to sit down and reconsider <laughs> my life yeah. at this point <laughs> yeah
2: actually it's it's not just about uh, it, it's not just about something else coming up and taking over it's also about making bitcoin better right so sure. there are a lot of uh, a lot of not yeah there are some weaknesses which uh, bitcoin could do better at so probably that's uh, where we should, uh, you know, builders should focus their energy and make it better, because the network effect it has. Um, again, the example of TCP/IP and stuff, right? So it has a network effect. People use it. People understand it. It is more worthwhile to make it better than keep looking for that black swan. And that's that's also an operational decision that we have taken, right? Okay, there might be another coin which is good but you know what being a startup uh, there's no point in trying to focus at you know on 6000 7000 cryptos bitcoin is 70% of the market that alone you know e- even if you leave the ideology uh, ideology aside that enough operational focus is good enough a business decision to focus only on bitcoin so yeah so we are that's what most of the people have started doing post 2018 so suddenly this trend uh, started of bitcoin only companies and there are a lot of companies now which are Bitcoin only. There were very few companies which might be, you know, um, Ether only or Monero only or Bitcoin Cash only. So that's uh, that's where we're, our focus is.
0: Right on. So when you said that <clears throat> at the end of twenty sixteen, you your personal story landed up on Bitcoin, and you said that, and then that's when I decided I was never going to sell Bitcoin. Um, did the company that you're working Hexa wallet, right? Like that's the product that you're building in BitHive. Um, you yeah. you have decided to be a, a Bitcoin only wallet. That's right. Correct? So like- what... We didn't
2: start at that time. We didn't start at the end of 2016. So right. um, after that, we um, I spent a lot of time looking into Bitcoin, learning about it, going to various meetups, talking to people. Um, even I started doing- consulting with a few firms, trying to explain them what is Bitcoin and how to make sense of that space. And then finally, uh, me and a couple of uh, the co-founders, we realized that being from the product space, this is where we can actually add value beyond you know, just, just having Bitcoins. Actually building a wallet, which is a touch point, uh, is where we can bring in technical innovation. So technical innovation, there's a lot happening in Bitcoin space, including the wallet space. Amazing wallets are out there. But the technical innovations are not are on the privacy side, are on the advance and advanced feature side and security side, but technical advancement or technical breakthroughs on the user side, what makes it easier for the user? That wasn't really there. So that is what we decided to focus on. And uh, that's when we started Exa, probably. Um a year later,
1: so th- I think that brings us really nicely into the conversation about Hexa and also about Bitcoin's weaknesses, because I, I have a hunch that that's exactly what you're trying to solve or one aspect of what you're trying to solve with Hexa wallet is some of Bitcoin's weaknesses. So I want you to describe to us what you think are Bitcoin's weaknesses, and then I think that you'll naturally uh, drive that conversation into Hexa wallet, and you can give us the introduction into that,
2: yeah i wasn't really trying to push push for that but uh, more importantly than the wallet uh, i'll come to the wallet definitely something uh, uh, obviously we are <laughs> very passionate about but uh, even at the network layer there are a few things that that could improve on for example the privacy for example one thing i i'm quite quite uh, interested in uh, Knowing if we could improve on is the reliance on internet, right? So, uh, so there have been a lot of incidences in Myanmar and stuff where governments can easily shut down the internet. So they pretty much we know now that government owns the internet, right? And if they want, they can shut down the internet. They can censor stuff on the internet. It's very difficult, but they can still do it. And uh, this is that is one thing that uh, Bitcoin doesn't really work without right now. So if you if you talk about layers in Bitcoin. Internet is the layer zero, layer one is the, you know, Bitcoin blockchain, and then layer two is lightning and so on. But this layer zero and the dependency on layer zero, internet, is is very, very, um, it's a very, uh, very huge dependency. So that's that's an area of weakness, um, which I think, you know, with uh, projects like uh, satellite, with projects like ham radio, or even projects like being able to Transact off chain on offline, like open diamond stuff uh, that's one area we should you know uh, probably think about improving on so that's uh, yeah that's, that's that um, privacy and stuff like that
0: hang on let's sure. let's talk about that because it uh, this is true layer zero dependency on uh, or layer zero of the dependency that we have on Bitcoin is the internet and without the internet, right. well, one I don't know what we would do. <laughs>
2: Yeah, there's a bigger problem
0: that that's yes i mean sure yes bitcoin is definitely a problem but like we would have to do a career shift if that didn't exist yeah Um, i'll start growing food uh, (laughs) but that's so interesting that you have thought about or you know you've just mentioned that there are some solutions to solving the problem of the internet being censored, here we are talking about, I would say surface, like level one problems where if um, your government bans Bitcoin or Mm. censors Bitcoin, or for whatever reason, your bank censors you from uh, purchasing Bitcoin in exchange, like those those can happen. But what if your government or some sort of authoritative body shuts down the internet for you? That's- Mm. uh, that can you talk about that a little bit more?
2: So there, there are two things here, right? Uh, one is um, one is the blanket blanket switching off the internet, right? Okay, doable. Countries can do that, but that is that is a bigger problem if if it comes to that.
0: Right. So
2: it's not not just it's a, it's more of a human rights issue than than just Bitcoin. So Bitcoin would be the least, <laughs> let's say, you know, when you're sitting suddenly internet goes away and you know that the government is not going to let you have internet. I'm sure you would do other things than thinking about Bitcoin, right? So yeah. f- so first of all, the thing is that even if the internet is down and you have your keys, it still doesn't matter. You cannot inter- transact with it, but no one can steal your Bitcoins. So you can wait it out, right? So that's one part of it. Your, your funds are not at risk, which is the most important part, right? Okay? um uh, so you can wait out maybe one week the internet is down or something else or you move to a different location and then start using your bitcoins that is all right uh, the blanket you know switching of the internet is kind of a low impact because it cannot be done forever but if the government figures out a way um, or an authority figures out a way to censor transactions only bitcoin transactions right that is that is where the real bottleneck is they're like only a bunch of ISPs. And they are very easy to control. Um, so if there is a way to censor Bitcoin transactions, that there cannot be a Bitcoin transaction sent on the internet, or there cannot be a you know note not communication on the internet, that is the part which really worries me. One of the one of the things which really worries me. Right. Um, so
0: <laughs> know how to strike a fear yeah, in but, I mean <laughs>
2: So definitely, you know, you have to be. You have it's it's an adversarial uh, space, so you have to worry about things. That's very important. Uh, but then, you that's,
1: that there's some solutions to that though. Like so, you said that there's there's people working on broadcasting the Bitcoin blockchain through a ham radio, satellite. for example, or Blockstream has launched satellites with satellite. Yeah, yeah. But these
2: are like uh, these great. are like you know um, show show showrooms, right? Show homes. No one really uses them. So they're really good to have. They show you the way. And in, in worst case, you might e- actually end up using them. There are even these um, Gotina devices. You know, Gotina. So they are these um, off-the-grid devices. So the, initially, they were, I think they were made for people going on hiking. And when they don't have internet connection, you can have like a, it's a stick. And uh, if you have one and I have one, we can chat with each other. Even if there's no internet. Right. So people have used GoTina devices to communicate transactions over kilometers, Bitcoin transactions over kilometers, and then finally finding Internet and then you know broadcasting it. So it's definitely people uh, have looked at that problem. Right?
1: right. Then there's
2: ham radio, then there's satellite, but none of them is like none of them is something I have used. For example, I would have used a lot of things. So it is really out there. Um, it's not a very easy thing to use. So that's one area I would like to see someone coming up with some solution, um, but uh, yeah, let's let's see how that space develops.
0: Right. So you talked. So there's more weaknesses though, because you said um, initially that there are weaknesses of Bitcoin that we need to develop on. And besides the layer zero, where the internet itself can be censored, and then there's solutions for that. What are some other weaknesses of Bitcoin that you have? Study of so if
2: you if you come come, come to layer one, uh, the, the actual ledger of the blockchain, uh, privacy could definitely be improved. Um, and there are a lot of things happening right now, like Taproot, like uh, the way nodes talk to each other, Dandelion and stuff, where the privacy does improve. So uh, a lot happening in that space, layer one space, because it is the Bitcoin blockchain, so we can have a new core versions, which improves. Bitcoin security and Bitcoin privacy and stuff like that. So that's that's the second area. Um, and then obviously when you when you look at the app layer, that is where the, the UX or the wallet space comes in and uh, even now people prefer custodial solutions uh, or um, you know having a, uh, keeping their Bitcoin on exchanges. So that is that is where you know we wanted to focus and have our contribution. Make our name. So With
0: wait, so talk a little bit more about that because Hexa Who, when I looked at it, I it's not a custodial solution. Hexa Wallet is a non-custodial solution, correct? Absolutely, correct. Um, and then, how do you connect the fact that there are people who want to leave their Bitcoin in a in a custodial service, and then that's where you have innovated on? Can you elaborate on
1: that?
2: Yeah. So buying on an exchange and leaving it there is very easy. We know how it works. We have bought shares and we buy stuff, and you know we leave it there in an account in a bank, but especially till 2016, 17, and even after 17, I think Quadriga, um, there were so many exchange hacks that we have learned a lesson, uh, but that's not necessarily going to be always the case, right? Coinbases of the world, Krakens of the world have the right security, it's uh, less likely that they will they are regulated so this less likely they that they will run away or probably they will uh, they will have a hack but uh, but the user privacy is still you know gone with uh, these custodial solutions the user privacy is gone the censorship resistance is gone if you want to send out uh, send out money from coinbase to someone they do know that you have sent it and this is where it has gone and stuff like that and if there is a reason for government to uh, not allow you to do that then that's very easy to do so custodial solutions are are a good starting point but uh, the inertia is such that and the and uh, the ease of use is you know once you have gone there and bought your bitcoins you don't want to kind of you know move it up so that is what we want to solve we want to figure out a way that's one problem the sec- the custodialness. second problem is I have had so many numerous examples. People saying, "Okay, how to buy Bitcoin?" I said, "You know what? This is the best one out there. Just go there and buy for now." And they go there and they come back two days later. Oh, I've bought, I have bought this coin and that coin and that coin. <laughs> Bitcoin was very expensive. I "I didn't buy it because I went to into a candy shop and I wanted to buy a bottle of water, but I didn't buy a bottle of water, which is important for me. But I bought these seven candies. Like what, really?" <laughs> So they get in there and they they see all these graphs and stuff. Uh, it's like a kid in a candy shop, and they end up <laughs> buying stuff that they shouldn't be buying, like Dogecoin and stuff like that. So that's another. It's it's just unnecessarily distracting. So Bitcoin only non custodial solution. That's what we are trying to solve. We want it to be as easy as a custodial solution. In fact, easier, because uh, custodial solution would require you to you know show your passport and then register and then this and that. That that doesn't have to be the case. It is your money, right. and uh, if you are just holding it, then there's no need to, you know, show your face and move your passport around and stuff like that.
0: <laughs> All right. So with this custodial solution, um, someone you're you're saying that you want to make it easier than a custodial solution. Does that mean that someone can buy Bitcoin on Hexa Wallet?
2: Yes. Yes. So that is uh, that is there are a few integrations coming in probably in a few weeks, very soon. So people should be able to buy using their Apple Pay, you know, debit card from within Hexa. They, you should, they, they should be able to set up a DCA. Um, there are a lot of uh, vendors which provide vouchers, uh, vouchers in retail stores. Right. So you should be able to scan that directly into Hexa. So these things are in in the pipeline.
0: Right, so these integrations will use, a s- Essentially, is that an integration that you are building or as part of Hexa or is it something that another company has built and then it just works together with the Hexa wallet?
2: Yeah, so we'll be integrating with other right. companies who would be... Um, so, so we don't do KYC. Right. They do have KYC. So if you buy using your uh, debit card, obviously everything about you is known, but... The key part is the bitcoins are non-custodial. They are in your custody. After that, it's not on an exchange where they can decide what to do with them or suddenly freeze your account or anything like that. So they we call it non-custodial buys. So you buy and it is directly into your in your hands basically.
0: Right. That's what I was going to ask. Is uh, if if someone is able to buy from the Hexa wallet, then wouldn't you have to um, go like have them go through KYC? Is that so? Would you say that where well, are the headquarters right now? The the UK and Pune for Hexa Wallet? No, no, we
2: are we are based out of London. As in the headquarters, it's a, it's a it's a UK company. London. Okay.
0: So does the does the UK have regulations on you having to register each and every one of your users' personal information if if they are to be able to buy directly from your wallet? Um
2: no, so the way it works is, uh, imagine it like uh, like Craigslist or something, right? You are only uh, giving them pointers of where they can buy. So, for example, if they they are buying using a uh, using Swan, so you you they actually go onto the Swan website. We redirect them. They only take one of their wallet addresses with them and give it to Swan. They do their buying and registration and everything there. But once they have bought it. They say, by the way, this is my address, why don't you deposit it here? And that's all. So if we are not doing the buying, we are not doing the exchange stuff, we are not doing the registration KYC stuff, we direct the user to a proper service. On-ramps are all KYC and that's, that's a known fact. But once you have bought it, it should be under your control. That's what EXA gives you. Once you have gone to an exchange and bought it, that's it. The role of exchange should be done. And you should have it in your control so that's the difference so we as a company we don't have to do kyc um because yeah we don't we are not a financial company we're just a software provider giving them a link to where they can buy and we make sure obviously that these guys are properly regulated and they have their policies in place
0: nice so i see what what you've done there, you've kind of hacked um, the fact that people like to leave their money on an exchange once they buy it. Um, Mm -hmm. But instead, you've kind of built this channel where they can buy it from the Hexa wallet, which is a non-custodial service. um, And they can buy it on a custodial service, but because they're buying it from your non-custodial wallet, it just automatically can get channeled into the non-custodial wallet, which is the Hexa wallet.
2: Correct, correct. So again, there is a bit of nuance. The um, when when you talk about an exchange, right? Um, the exchange has two essential services. One is the order book, which lets you buy and sell. That's just the exchange part of it, and then they also give you a wallet,
1: right? right
2: yeah. uh, a custodial wallet. So a Coinbase is these two pieces together. Now, what this does is the exchange is still, and the custodial, non-custodial is only for the wallet piece. The exchange is always an order book, and you buy with them so you use that exchange mechanism or an order book mechanism or whatever the partner provides but the wallet you don't use their wallet you use hexa wallet to just you know it's it's not because all you do is they would have deposited into one of your addresses right. all you have done is you have asked them you know what this is my address please use this to deposit my assets that's it right on and and a lot of a lot of companies are encouraging that so um yeah
0: that sounds pretty cool. Um, where is your wallet accessible right now?
2: So it's accessible pretty much uh, everywhere. Um, yeah, it should be accessible everywhere.
0: Everywhere the internet. There are a few countries. Uh, <laughs>
2: yeah, <laughs> everywhere there's layer zero. <laughs> <laughs> so there are some countries which are not uh, um, not on the list yet. We are figuring out how you know, what, what exactly to do about them, but uh, it should be there in most
1: of the places.
0: Pretty cool.
1: So I, I can actually have some, I have some more questions about, like, I, I've just been sitting here listening sure, to the conversation, but uh, I wasn't ready to to leave the weakness conversation <laughs> qu- quite yet. Um, I actually found that part really, really yeah, sure. fascinating and, um, and you're you're quite knowledgeable and well well spoken about that and i want you i'm going to try to feed you a question here but i also want you to be respectful to the network that we're about to talk about <laughs> and i want you to tell us from your perspective what you think the weaknesses of uh, of ethereum might be
2: okay first of all i have not uh, looked into ethereum for years now okay so my take will be extremely um i shouldn't have a take honestly because i've not looked at Ethereum for at least two years other than, you know, some tweets here and there, right? Um, but I do talk to people, um, especially the developers we talk to, like when we want to get them on board and stuff, a lot of people come from the Ethereum space. Um, so I do have some interactions and I keep hearing about it. See the, Again, it's what Ethereum is trying to do. Uh, so there's a difference between Ethereum and ETH, first of all. Ethan as an asset is different, and Ethereum is different. So what Ethereum is trying to do has its own set of issues. And uh, uh, essentially, if you if you look at it, uh, uh, so Bitcoin. So there there were a lot of opcodes in Bitcoin, which were uh, which were which were turned off on purpose, right, to make sure that it is not Turing complete, right. Mm. So. Being Turing complete, if you if you ask a Bitcoiner, especially who knows about a little bit about opcodes and how Bitcoin scripting works, being Turing complete is actually a bug. We don't want that, right? Because there are a lot of issues, the unpredictable and non-deterministic things that can happen with a Turing complete language, which cannot happen with a non-Turing complete language. So that's an attack vector in itself. For example. There can be endless loops, and being developers, you guys know that you know you get stuck in loops and stuff. So it's not possible to create a loop in Bitcoin, right? Um, so there are a lot of precautions that were taken, which were, which are obviously uh, when you when you when you don't take that precautions and make it Turing complete, suddenly you can do a lot more. Anything that you can do in Java, you can do on Ethereum. So that's great. But uh, from just talking about Ethereum, no one has really figured out, I think the, uh, you know, really doing it securely, at least last I checked. So that's the Ethereum space. Basically, the attack vector is huge, complexity is huge. And at the same time, they're changing it. So that that makes me very nervous. I don't know what's going to happen there.
1: So with respect to the... the So that's
2: the Ethereum side of things
1: yeah with respect to the network layer of of uh, of ethereum what, what i've been hearing um there's there's some statistic and i wonder if you can speak to uh, the efficacy or the, the the truthfulness of this uh this statistic it's it's that some like 70 80 85% of ethereum is run on aws is run on uh well cloud providers uh, distributed cloud providers that are essentially centralized so amazon drupal uh whatever it might be uh, what Do you know whether or not that is the, the case? And t- t- to me, that is the biggest attack vector because it just takes a government to to say, hey, Amazon, all of these people running Ethereum oh, nodes, yeah. this is what they look like. Can you just shut them all off, please?
2: Yeah, and, and we know how what uh, Amazon can do, right? They can just deplatform Trump, right? So I'm sure they can deplatform Ethereum for sure. Right, right. Because- uh, yeah, that, if, if that is the case, I'm not 100%. I'm sure, but it, it might as well be the case because, um, again in 2016, 17, I went to Denver ETH Denver, uh, to really talk to these guys and take a final call before doing the product. That should we have Ethereum in the product or not? And what I realized is most of them are not, not worried about the government, uh, you know, switching them off, they're just looking at decentralized as a program and they're not really thinking about the attack vector. So, looking at that. Kind of culture, it's very much possible. Though I don't know it for a fact, but what you're saying is very much possible. And if it is possible, definitely it is. Uh, it is. Uh, it is. It is a big attack vector.
1: So yes. So this is why I found it so interesting for us to be talking about Bitcoin over ham radio and Bitcoin over the satellite, because from from my point of view, that's well. I'm a very conservative person uh, in terms of like what my what I invest in and what I put my money into, and just the off chance that the government wants to bring down Ethereum or one of its use cases seems like too much of, like you said, an attack vector. Um whereas like Bitcoin seems to be innovating on indestructibility, for lack of a better yeah. word. And that yeah. I really enjoy that particular stream of development.
2: Yeah. And it is it's it's one of the things which people come into this space, they just don't realize they just want to build something fast and the developers coming in are like, okay, why are you thinking so much about something going wrong? Like we, we can have 10 more features instead of trying to fix this security piece. I'm like, no, imagine it like a, you know, uh, like a peacemaker, the, the which, you know, which makes your heart beat. Yes. So if you get anything wrong there, it's not going to be no matter how many features. <laughs> So you have you make it pink colored or red colored it doesn't matter <laughs> right you just cannot uh play with the money so it's a completely completely um almost an uh, orthogonal way of uh looking at things and because the use case is money you have to be conservative if the use case was web 3.0 fine fine you you your like did not go go through that's fine but if it's money um, you cannot break it, especially if it is something which is not reversible, right? So you need to be careful there. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Really well said. I love it. It's, it's the... Oh, sorry. Careful. I was just going to say, I really like all of your analogies because on. Um, yeah, you, they're fun. Yeah, you, you're, you have very, very awesome technical explanations for what you're saying. But then when you analogize it to something super simple, like a bottle of water and then the candy <laughs> shop, or in <laughs>
1: Pace the
0: pacemaker in this case, it's really awesome for even us and our audience to understand exactly how that maps onto the technical talk that you're talking. So, just wanted to put that up.
2: Yeah, you have. Yeah, thanks. You have to. You have. To, I have tried hard, and most of the times I've failed, but I have tried to use different <laughs> technologies and tried to explain this stuff. Uh, but yeah, yeah, it is. It is fun to keep hypothesizing. And trying to think of different scenarios, what could happen, what could go wrong. so
0: I, I think it's built into just um like a developer mindset, too, right. I remember when we were in one of our classes, like Jim Diamond. he was a professor that taught both of us at different times, and he he was the hardest marker because when he made us write a particular program to solve a problem, he needed to make sure that we looked at all of the edge cases, that it wasn't just, oh, you want this to happen, okay, do this. No, like, sure, like the solution itself is very easy to code, but Mm. all of the edge cases around, okay, what if the user doesn't actually do what they're supposed to, but then these other uh, characters are entered or this number that, isn't supposed uh, to like the program isn't expecting is entered. You have to program all of those edge cases as well, which is why you have absolutely, to
2: absolutely absolutely
0: think about okay what can go wrong and the computer needs to know exactly how to handle it. The program needs to know exactly that's, how to handle all of the inputs that it's not expecting.
2: Absolutely, I, I think that's that's a that's how Bitcoiners think. I would say uh, when doing stuff, what could go wrong, basically. <laughs> they lose their sleep hour not like trying to develop more but like okay what if something goes wrong even example, right security has been one of the main things so you know great we have great UX and stuff but what if someone loses even um, a little bit of their money what happens then so that's yeah definitely
0: so tell something. us tell us more about the weaknesses of bitcoin what else could go wrong <laughs>
2: Okay, so we can call this episode the weakness of Bitcoin. <laughs> uh, so see, on-ramps are again a, a central place of control. Um, mining, so, so, so on-ramps is obviously all of us, like most of us, still on in fiat. So when we get on to Bitcoin, it <clears throat> unless we are doing mining and we'll come to that, but you get on from fiat, to, so that's the that's like the gateway. That's like the door, the entry door. So, And most of the people are standing outside right now. Only some of us and only part of us are inside, right? So imagine it like if everyone wants to enter it and there is a guard sitting at the door, then they have a lot of control and they have a lot of power, right? And because we have our all of our money and everything in fiat, they do have a power unless we completely get into the Bitcoin world so that is another area of control where things can be squeezed things can be controlled things can be changed things can be dictated and it's not just going in it's going in and going out because all right if even if i have everything in bitcoin you you'll say you know what i'll just convert everything to bitcoin and then i don't need to worry about these gatekeepers actually not really because when you sell bitcoin or you buy a house using bitcoin or a car or something that is still considered you know, selling your Bitcoin for fiat. So you are again interacting with that doorkeeper. You're going again into the fiat world to pay someone, at least from a tax perspective, if not from a transaction. Even most of the, you know, Starbucks and everyone, whoever accepts Bitcoin, they don't really take Bitcoin. They just like convert Bitcoin and take fiat. So you are again going out of that door. You're again going to meet that guard, and you'll have to again, you know, know, uh, comply with whatever that person has to say so that's another area of control which is which is very difficult to um, it's not someone you can reason with it's not uh, uh, something you can control because bitcoin layer one weaknesses we can code and we can try and stuff but this is not in our it's more politics and government and stuff so that is where we need bitcoiners we need more bitcoiners in the government we need more people talking about bitcoin and that is why we need more people actually standing up so you can be anonymous or you can you know speak about it you know uh, with uh, the first time in 2000 i don't know again 2016 I, when i went somewhere and spoke about uh, spoke about bitcoin the guys who came in the, the first comment they said after my 45 minutes of presentation i did not know you guys exist I thought this is just some people on the internet doing some stuff. I really did not know you guys existed. I was like that. That was a very important comment because these guys don't really understand it. And in two thousand sixteen, it was like something happening on in the dark net out there. Maybe right. someone sitting in their uh, in their basement doing stuff, right? But when you stand there, it itself gives it a lot of credibility. So we need people, more people talking about it, more more Michael Sayers, more Elon Musk's to actually stand up if the government has something to say. So that's the only way to solve that weakness. But yes, it is still a weakness. Uh,
0: yeah, well, you just saying that gives me um another weakness to think of. And that's um like the lack of understanding or, or even like more so the lack of wanting to adopt with an open mind what this could bring. Because just last week I, I did a video on India proposing to ban crypto and in, in, in India mm. it was an article written by CNBC and in the headlines, they said that India planning to ban all private cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin um, And <laughs> when I made this video I was like, this is wrong. Bitcoin is not a private cryptocurrency. What are they talking about? like this is this is just not factual. And one of the weaknesses I would say it's not really with the Bitcoin protocol uh, technologically, but it is with the, the number of people that um, are not ready to, with an open mind, accept this thing called Bitcoin. Um, so it's, it was really quite ironic that, um, what was it? Something else announced, oh yeah, it was the same week that Elon Musk changed his Twitter bio to hashtag Bitcoin. And mm. then this news piece right. came out with, oh, India is proposing to ban crypto yet yeah. yet once again.
2: Yeah, yeah, it is it's amazing. So one of one thing is uh the terminology used is completely different, right? So what we call private and public, and I was also thrown off by this headline. But when I looked into it and spoke to a few people, when they say public, it is public sector. So it is about government currency. Oh. So from that definition, I was like Okay, now I see why. Because I'm saying that it's not private enough and you're saying it's a private currency. It's not private. But that's what they mean. So first of all, uh, the language is completely different. There's a huge gap. And when we talk about uh, stuff in Bitcoin, you know, Austrian economics or scarcity, you know, people just don't get it. People just, you know, just turn off when they they listen to these things. So yeah, definitely education is a big piece, but uh, price does wake up people. So a lot of people woke up in 2017 and now, so a lot of people are uh, uh, reaching out uh, who are probably naysayers or just not bothered, who are trying to understand. And uh, I'm hosting a lot of like webinars for friends and family. Suddenly everyone at least wants to know about it in a very uh, open-minded way. Yeah. So I, I'm really hoping that 2021 will change that. But yes, definitely one area where we can do better
0: yeah yeah for sure <laughs> that's um with respect to the terminology wow private sector i didn't even think of that
2: yeah oh so it's you know when you say public space it is uh it is like you know roads and parks and so it's a public and private that means public is government and private is anything else
1: it's right. not really
2: correct because it's not a private organization so it's, yeah. it's a it's a completely a third third thing it's neither public nor private but for them it's private right it's not us so it's something else so it's private <laughs> so they they called it private uh currency so the headlines use them the bill actually says private property. that's what they mean right it's like they they think everything public is the government and everything right. private is someone someone else doing it they don't even probably know that there's no bitcoin company <laughs>
0: oh my gosh <laughs> So the government <laughs> thinks that it's public only if they can control it. If it's not something they can control, then it automatically becomes private.
2: Yeah, and wow. the third, third, third part, I I don't think they have understood it yet. Um, yeah.
0: The like yeah, if they the third. Part yeah, being...
2: so this is not really Bitcoin is not really public because it's not like public sector thing. Right. And it's right. not private sector. It's not like a company, right? It's, a, it's something. It's a community thing. The best to call it is a community thing, right? It's uh, it's one of those things which you do together with a bunch of people uh, without forming a company or without taking your government help. So I kind it's of a cooperation.
1: Of it, I think of it as like a public utility almost. Like it's kind of like our sewer systems and our power lines and our, well, power lines are kind of private, but um, like I I hope one infrastructure, day- Infrastructure, we'll, public infrastructure piece. That's right. Yeah, I, I hope one- Yeah, one day absolutely. It, Actually, be enacted in law that there's like some responsibility for cities and individuals to uphold. There'll be rights associated with with free money, um, and by free money, I, I don't mean like handouts of money. I mean like a, a money infrastructure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. freedom under, money. Yeah. What'd you say? Sorry. Freedom money. Freedom money. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I, I mean, maybe I'm just very optimistic. We're yeah, just looking at me with you're like very a,
0: optimistic. I just i mean like the the entire infrastructure of a government would have to change if money cannot be controlled <laughs> by the government is what i think
2: yep yeah but but it's it's fine so if if tomorrow flying cars come then you know uh, traffic police can't say yo it doesn't fit my 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 navigation system or my structure so you know you can't have flying cars the regulations will have to change flying cars will come and yeah. they'll have to figure out how to control them so yeah they have some work to do there at their end as well
0: yeah i would say that uh self-driving cars <laughs> were, are the first <laughs>
2: yeah exactly even that absolutely even that so yeah absolutely so again when when the roads or uh, auto, automobiles came in obviously there were no obvious rules for uh right um for automobiles right so so there was this interesting red flag uh, red flag act so you uh, because it was an automobile and uh, it might, uh, you know, people might not really realize while crossing the street, they might get hurt and something. So they, they had a law where a person has to hold a red flag and walk in front of the automobile. Right?
0: When so was they, this? This is called the red
2: flag. Act. <laughs> this was obviously the very beginning and uh, and uh, it was there, it, this was in uk and us for sure i don't know about other countries but this was a it was really amazing so people actually uh, had uh, you know cars and uh, and another person uh, so the, you you are supposed to have a mechanic in the car because what if it breaks down if, if a horse <laughs> car breaks down you can just move it to the side or whatever they, they used to think about it so you have used to have you have to have a mechanic plus you you have to have a person probably walking two meters ahead of the car with a red flag in their hand to warn people of the dangers. Wow. So
1: <laughs> I'm just
2: like so that to, was...
1: to that to, to Bitcoin. Like every Bitcoiner needs a uh someone to hold their hand and make sure that they copy the 12-word phrase down, and every bitcoiner needs uh someone <laughs> to watch every transaction that they do. I'm I'm of course joking, but uh yeah, that's kind yeah, yeah. of uh, like we can have uh, software It do can that. it can happen. Sorry? We can have software do that. Like I, I absolutely I, I, I checked out Hexa Wallet before the show started, and one of the things that I noticed is that you use terms that are familiar to individuals with respect to bank accounts. Like you're you're trying to insert the uh, well Bitcoin into people's lives through channels that people already understand. So you use checking and savings accounts, for example. And I, I thought that was a very clever way of uh, of integrating that into a non-custodial wallet because those words. To me, mean custodianship in a bank, but you're saying, mm-hmm. "Hey, now let's let's just co-opt those terms and integrate them into this non-custodial wallet."
0: Yeah.
2: So at the end of it, uh, people are not going to choose Hexa Wallet because it's non-custodial. Uh, Bitcoiners would do that. I would do that. But uh, most of the no coiners, which whom we are targeting, are pre-coiners, as we call them.
0: Yeah.
2: Uh, Pre-coiner PAMS. So we have this uh, um, role, which is a Pam, who is a Pam, who is uh, uh, getting onto Bitcoin. So basically, a pre-coiner Pam will never choose Hexa because of its privacy or non-custodial nature. They are they are okay with uh, bank accounts and giving up all their financial privacy using all the fintech apps out there, right? So they 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 are not worried about that. Why they would use Hexa is because these things at the end of it would give them a better experience. It's a very difficult thing to crack, but we genuinely think that uh, uh, all the compliance, so, so 20 to 30% cost of financial companies is compliance. If you can remove those costs and remove those frictions in the process that sometimes transactions don't go through and then you have to get an approval and then you can't send it to everyone and everywhere um, and stuff like that and you have limits and stuff like that, all that is taken off. Right, so we want to get Hexa to a stage where people don't, don't, we don't even have to advertise it. It's non custodial, but the experience is so amazing, and the reason is because it's non custodial. You, you, you get what I'm trying to get to?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
2: So, so that's that's a very difficult nut to crack, but uh, we have the ingredients. We have the, we have the right, uh, right, uh, you know, core, core pieces we have developed to make that happen.
0: Right, just you saying that was making me think of um, something that I'm working on with somebody else and we have to decide this curriculum to introduce compu- parts of a computer, com- the industry, the technology industry to a group of people who don't know about it and uh, what you're, like, how it relates is um, we had to make the decision of, okay, what do we need to include in this that people need to know, but they don't know they need to know. And it, like you saying that it's a difficult nut to crack and um, like this is the channels that you want to use in order to make that integration experience as smooth as possible. It seems like all of you being Bitcoiners and knowing about the problems that already exist, you know what your app needs to have um, at minimum to make sure that it is the best place for users to use it, but the users don't know it yet. Yes. And, Absolutely. and and like now you're working on how do you, um, I guess like this is me assuming that now you're working on how do you like, sort of advertise and amplify that this is really the place that uh, like pre-coiners need to come to because they get two things or two, hit two birds with one stone essentially.
2: Yeah, yeah. I would say even privacy, so it's uh, ease of use non-custodial nature and privacy so they might not care about uh, these two but um, and also cheaper so if we don't have compliance cost maybe we can pass on some of the benefits and make it actually cheaper for the user right the exchanges wouldn't have to worry about you know securing their wallets because people take it out on take it out in hexa wallet so right. their costs go down um so there is a benefit if we can uh you know properly balance that out so the product or uh, the 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 basic uh, core parts of the product product has been built. The first step is to get out of beta and, uh, you know, polish the edges and uh, make sure that uh, the performance is good and stuff like that. Once that is done, which will be probably in the next few months, then I think we would uh, go out and solicit and, you know, advertise and stuff uh, about Excel.
0: For sure. So where, where can people, where can our audience come and find... Hexa wallet or when should they go look for Hexa wallet I guess is the more important question No
2: no, no. Our, our users are most welcome we have already had thousands of users uh, who are testing it telling us what they think about it even using it so it uh, it is uh, it is a, it is a pretty secure wallet yeah, there are some UX pieces and there are some uh, things the rinkers that we have to iron out but uh, people are most welcome to use it and give us their feedback uh, they can find us on uh, On our website, which is hexawallet.io, or our Twitter handle, which is at hexawallet. Yeah. Can you you
0: just spell that out as well?
2: Yeah, sure. So that is H E X A Wallet, W A L L E T dot I O, is the website, and hexawallet is the Twitter handle.
0: Okay, very cool. And where can people find you, Anand?
2: So my Twitter handle is Anant underscore tap. So so oh, that's, uh, yeah, my DMs are open and you can always message me.
0: That's A-N-A-N-T underscore T-T? Yeah.
2: Yes, that's right.
0: Okay, wonderful. And is Twitter the best place to tweet tweet at you or find you and talk to you?
2: Yeah, probably that's the place to start. And, uh, uh, you know, you can ask me for my email over there and uh, we can take it from there if someone wishes to do it that way.
0: I noticed that you were on Clubhouse the other day. I'm, I'm wondering if you're going to plan to host some rooms and talk about the weaknesses of Bitcoin or <laughs> or um, any other topic.
2: No, no, that's a good idea. I've been... So much to do, honestly. I've been... Um, so I, I used to write, write a little bit and I uh, used to put out stuff. So I have an article called The Red Flag Act of Crypto and stuff like that. So I, we have a small... I've written a few pieces and um, I do like to go out and talk to people, but there's so much to build uh, that even though Clubhouse is great, I'm not able to spend enough time on that. Hopefully that will change in the next few weeks. But uh, yeah, absolutely. If if, if we are there at the same time, I'm sure we'll... uh, In fact, it's quite a catchy title, right? The weaknesses of Bitcoin. And so many will jump in. (laughs) Let's try that out someday.
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know what? After this podcast is recorded, (laughs) let's schedule something so I can put something in the show notes and uh, people can come find us talking about the weaknesses of Bitcoin and Clubhouse.
1: Absolutely. Game for it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So to end this episode, I have one last question. And that's Keegan, you have something else you want to bring up? No, I'm
1: I'm good. Yeah, that that was awesome.
0: Yeah. Okay. So uh, my last question for you is, what is one radical thing that you want to see happen before the end of your life, <laughs> <laughs> or in your life, in your in your lifetime.
2: Yeah, I mean, uh, I can't think of anything else other than you know actually seeing the Bitcoin standard. So uh, Bitcoin is, it's inevitable. It's going to happen. The only thing we can do is try to make it in our lifetime, right? right. So probably that's the that's the only thing uh, I would like to see. Like the, a proper Bitcoin standard, not can you just like price and stuff. But so basically, uh, it being used as money uh, the world over. It's not just the reserve currency. It's not just uh, being used for uh, by people who are trying to store value. That is the most important part. But then the store of value. Uh, so if you compare it to gold, gold is not easy to use for transactions, right? Mm-hmm. So that is that is easy to do. Uh, Bitcoin already has features where it can replace gold once right. it has that option. But uh, but beyond that, if it develops uh, all the other pieces where it can, you can transact with it easily. You can uh, you know create joint accounts with it easily. You can program on it easily. For example, on Bitcoin today, I can have a joint account between someone in um, someone in UK and someone in Japan in, in a click of a few buttons, right? That's not possible in the legacy financial system. So there's much more that Bitcoin can do beyond what the finance So we, we replace it, but that's not all of it. You, you can do so much more with programmable money. I want to see some of those magic use cases, right? That's really what would uh, make the difference. Internet did replace a lot of paper, but that was not the point, having the Facebooks and the Ubers of the world is what really changed a lot of things right so that will come probably after the store of value after medium of exchange and then probably we'll have these uh, smart use cases so I want to see some of that in my lifetime.
0: nice that is wow yeah that, that is I would say that's quite ambitious but I think that we might be able to see that.
2: Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll manage.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Well, Anand, thank you so much for joining us on this show. Did you have any uh, words of advice that you wanted to give to our audience on uh, from what you have learned being in Bitcoin for so long?
2: Uh, mm, no, just just don't listen to advice, that's it.
0: Just don't listen to what, sir?
2: Just don't listen to any advice. Just do your own research,
0: nice. and I love that. Uh,
2: probably probably listen to a lot of podcasts and you know read stuff. You will make up your own mind eventually. So, no point in advising anyone honestly. <laughs> I've tried that. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. Everyone, you know where to find Anand. We'll also have um, his Twitter handle and the Hexa Wallet in the show description, as well as when we're going to host a clubhouse for uh, the weaknesses of Bitcoin. Um, Absolutely. Thank you, you everyone, for uh, tuning in. Thank you, Anand, for joining us, and stay tuned. Thank you. I
2: loved it.